with Carrie Kapka Perot, and she was the director of City at a Hill, kind of the founding director from 2006 to 2011, mm -hmm. and just did a magnificent job, just took an organization which... Uh, I'm just going to be honest, I think was, you know, maybe about two weeks past dead. And, um, you know, she just absolutely revived it or maybe gave birth to a brand new organization. And it just grew and grew and grew. Um, and she was just adding event after event after event and providing real community for people. A lot of marriages came out of City on a Hill. Um, and it, it was just a very cool organization. It had sports, it had service, it just had everything. And, and Carrie, I just feel like the whole organization had your personality. Um, like you just stamped it with your personality. So it, it was wonderful. And I just wanted to say all that by way of introduction. Thank you very much. It's very kind. Well, you're welcome. Okay. I should probably not talk so much. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your life? Give me a little bit of background. I've interviewed you before. People yes. should check that out. But but just tell me just a little bit about you, and then we'll get into City on a Hill. Okay, great. Um, well, I was born and raised in Kansas City and went to Kansas State University for college in Manhattan, Kansas. I uh, had the opportunity to study abroad in college, which was a very transformative experience for me. I know that we have talked about that in a previous podcast. Um, Post-college, I graduated and went to Australia for a year to work with Net Ministries, um, which we also have in the United States, but I figured if I could do it in Australia, why not do it in Australia? So I did no that. Um, I think, you know, once I traveled abroad in college, it just gave me the travel bug and, um, you know, it just, it left me craving for new experiences and the opportunity to experience new cultures and new geographic locations, all of those things. Um, so all of that was a lot of fun. When I came back, I taught high school theology for two years and, ultimately discerned that that was not where I was being led long term. There was a restlessness in my heart. And that was essentially over the course of a few months where the Lord opened the door for me to move into working with young adults um, in Catholic in Catholic ministry. So um, that is what led me to City on a Hill in 2006. Okay, okay. And gosh, I could just ask you so many questions about your personality, but but I feel like, hey, if you're working with young adults, you're just more free. You know, that if you're in a classroom, well, okay, the hours are kind of set, and maybe the curriculum is set, and oh, that's a disciplinary infraction, and you know, mm -hmm. now you have to send this kid to the office. But yes. when you're working with young adults, you really there don't have to worry. There is none of that. Yes. Yeah, none yeah, of that. That, I mean, that is a, a perfect summarization of all the things that I found difficult about teaching. I absolutely loved the students in, a, in and of themselves, but just the, the parameters, the um, structure, the structure kind of drove me crazy. And it was funny because I, I really thought, oh man, I'm going to love having my summers off because I've always loved summer and Almost everybody else was working, so there was nobody to play with. <laughs> well, I was on summer break, you know, nobody to really travel with. So it, it, um, yeah, and I think the final straw was just the discipline and I think the realization that um, 
Having to bust kids for chewing gum or whatever. Yeah, all of those things, you know. And I think as a young woman in that field, you feel like you have to be hard. Mm. I mean, you have to be... You have to kind of have this persona persona of gruffness or else they walk all over you. Right. And I did not enjoy that. Right. At all. Right. So that yeah. wasn't that wasn't my personality and so it was just difficult for me and that's just kind of how I knew and discerned that I needed to move, and move on. From part that. of the reason I asked all that is just because I think you're a highly adventurous person. But you also really want to connect with people. And so I, I just thought that would help people just sort of get more of a sense of your personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so then the opportunity for City on a Hill comes along. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess just mm-hmm. start where you want to start. Just tell me about maybe how you got the job, what it was like before you took the job, what City on a Hill was like before. Uh-huh. Uh, what, what were your first thoughts? Uh, like, where were you happy? Where were you exhilarated? Where were you thinking, oh, crap, what did I get myself <laughs> into? Yeah. yeah. Where, wherever you want to go. Okay. Well, so looking back, I, I actually was interviewed for an article a few months ago, and it kind of allowed me the opportunity to reminisce just all the, the details that the Lord orchestrated uh, for that job. Um And it's a pretty, I just feel like it's, when I look back on my life, that is a time where I just really felt like the Lord, I saw him very distinctly working in my life. Um, So I I quit my job, my teaching job, without having anything lined up. And I wasn't worried. I just felt like it was all going to work out. My mantra used to be, and I still joke, um, it always works out for Carrie Kafka. (laughs) (laughs) One way or another, it always works out, or at least thus far. Um, so I've done that a couple times. I've, I've quit, quit a job without having anything lined up. And this particular time... I know, in, that's in, not the standard advice. It just is to, not, I no, know. it's to have yes. something. But anyway, yeah. you have landed on your feet. Yeah. God, God's uh, providence and the generosity of my parents have helped me with that. So when I quit my job, you know, I remember I applied for two different positions. And one of which was youth director of the Diocese of Kansas City, Missouri, St. Joseph, and ended up getting beat out by my roommate's fiancé at the time. And, you know, it's funny. I remember them calling me, the the chancellor of the diocese, saying, I'm so sorry. You know, it was a, a difficult decision, but we ultimately decided decided to hire this other candidate. But, you know, we will keep you in mind for other positions. And I remember, you know, feeling very disappointed about that, but at the same time having a peace but I did not even have it on my radar. I had no idea that a young adult position like that even existed mm. because there wasn't really much going on, you know, right. that I was aware of. So right. basically, I can't remember the timing on it, but I think maybe it was, it must have been before that. They, they did have a monthly young adult mass um, where they would have mass at the cathedral on a weeknight. I don't remember what night it was of the week. Third, I think it was. Could have been. It doesn't third, matter. Thursday, but it doesn't make any yeah, difference. No. Yeah. So, basically, I had gone to that a few times, and it had been, you know, interesting. And I definitely had a longing for for more, you know. And and you know, there was a a guy named Jason Osterhaus who was so great, and he was pouring so much into getting young adult programs going. But he was doing it, you know. They nobody. Uh, would hire him, you know, to do it full time 
unfortunately. Right, so, right. He was out there in the Wild West yes. just doing this as an entrepreneur. Right. So, I mean, and I was being just... being entrepreneurial in a field that pays no money. Yes. So, I mean, he was doing great things with the time that he had. And so, there, on the Kansas side, there was a young adult mess every Thursday night. And I would go to that. Um, and everybody would just go out to eat afterwards. But I think I felt... Um, on the weekends that I still had a longing for community and there just wasn't a ton going on yet. And so when I found out that the story, how the story goes, this is pretty amazing. So I had gone on this mission trip with a friend of mine who was working at a, as a youth minister. This was the summer of Katrina, I think. Was that 2006 okay, Katrina or was 2005? 2005? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we went in June of 2006 to help with cleanup. For a week. Okay. And that was a really amazing experience. But I had offered to be one of the chaperones on this trip. Oh, okay. So I had gone on this trip, but I remember thinking, you know, man, it's been a while since I've been to confession. I really need to go to confession. Um, and I had a confessor who was Monsignor Offit, Monsignor Bradley Offit on the Missouri side, who was just a priest that I really had grown to love. And I thought, you know, he moved from St. Elizabeth's and I don't know where he is and I need to figure that out. And I just remember it was like a week and a half and I just, you know, me trying to figure out where he was and I got a hold of him because um, at that time he was the chancellor of the diocese. So basically I contacted him. He said, why don't you come to cathedral and before noon mass or whatever it was and I'll hear your confession. And so I just remember I had kind of really had this wrestling in my heart like I need to get to confession and when I went, I, you know, basically told him that at some point he just said, so how are you doing? It's been a while since I've seen you. And I said, well, you know, I applied for this job and I didn't get it. And I was really sad. And he said, well, I want to make you aware. He actually, for my penance, he said, I want to tell you about this job that just opened up today. Nobody even knows about it yet. Okay. But we're going to be posting it. And it's for director of young adult ministry for the diocese. And for your penance, I'd like you to pray about applying for that job. Wow. <laughs> well, just for anybody who's non-Catholic who's listening, Catholics have this sacrament called reconciliation or confession. And uh, you tell the priest your sense, but sometimes conversations veer off of things like that. And so mm -hmm. then for you're, you're supposed to, you know, do some sort of penance for your for your sins. And yours was to apply for a job. Yes. So I thought to myself... A, I didn't even know that this job existed. It wasn't even on my radar. And B, this is like the greatest penance I've ever received. Yeah, I'm no so kidding. I'm so excited to pray about For this. penance, I'd like you to eat ice cream. Yes, and that's what it felt like, essentially. So anyway, um, so I just remember going home. I was really excited about it and, you know, went and worked on my resume, submitted it. And providentially, I think that next weekend, I ended up, Oh, and I should back up and say I was living with two girls at the time, and one of them had, had recently gotten a job as the Respect Life Director for the diocese, Adrian Heenick at the time, now Adrian Doring. And um, so I knew that they were hiring all these young people, that this new bishop that had come in was hiring all these young, on-fire Catholics to, yeah. to be in these positions, these director roles and other things. Smart and energetic. Yes, and passionate, and um, so it was just kind of an exciting time. And so, obviously, um, I knew that the youth director was my friend's uh, soon-to-be husband, 
and then Adrian. So anyway, it was an exciting time, but that weekend we were going to an event uh, at Crown Center in Kansas City. They used to do these Friday night movies on the lawn, one of my favorite things. And so that particular night I ended up meeting a new hire, okay. Matt Mays, who had come up from oh, yeah. Atlanta, yeah. Georgia, to work in the vocations office. So in Atlanta, Georgia, they had a thriving young adult ministry. Yes. So it was providential because I just remember I have a very distinct memory of him just, you know, kind of downloading all of this information about, you know, oh. they do this and they do this. And and I told him that I was applying for this job. He said, you could do this and this and this. And he just gave me all of these ideas where none really existed prior to that because okay. I had never seen it done anywhere. Right, right, you know, it right. was such a new thing and such a novel concept. And, and unfortunately, that's still the case in a lot of places today. I mean, there just really aren't a lot of thriving no. young adult No, hostels. no, no. I just remember a city on a hill, you know, at the time uh, was in league with maybe about three other places yes. in the United States. I'd always heard Denver's got this just amazing thing where hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young adults participate and so does Washington DC and so does Atlanta. That was kind of the stereotype and if there were yeah. any more beyond that I wasn't sure what they were but I mean they offered sports, they offered mm -hmm. service opportunities, they did Bible studies, they did all kinds of different stuff. Yeah so he really just got my my brain churning and I and I do think that I'm a creative person and I'm an outside of the box thinker so once he kind of got me going I my mind just started going to all these places and I got, I got really excited about it so um yeah so I went through the interview process and and was hired Oh, did you feel like you kind of, in retrospect, had a little bit of a secret in because Matt had given you all these ideas and then they would say, well, what are your ideas? And then you'd say, funny, you should ask. And then you'd have the 12, 12 from Matt. I just remember ferociously writing on a piece of paper and I wish I still had that with just all the ideas that oh. I had that I was excited about. And I, I remember taking that into the interview and I don't remember anything about the actual interview other than that I had this piece of paper and I was very passionate, excited about the prospect of it. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. So then you get the job. Yes. And then uh, what What exactly did you feel like you inherited? You kind of mentioned the, hey, maybe once a month or however often people would go to mass and then go out to this local bar. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I went to one of those and I think there was maybe like 30 people or something yeah, that some... were going to something like, and I don't know if they had any other events other than that. Other than that, they were doing theology on tap. Okay. And I think that was drawing about 10 to 15 people. Okay. And theology on tap for people who don't know could be the super dynamic thing. You could get a hundred people, 150 people, 200 people, you know, you kind of had a secret that you told me at the time, which is uh, get a dynamic speaker, pick a hot button topic that, you know, might have two sides, three sides to it, uh, and also the church's side, and then just just let them have at it. You know, have them come in and then give their speech, but then also Q&A. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, it worked. I mean, there would be 150 people who would mm -hmm. show up for these things, and they were so fun. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was just great. Sorry, I got off on on down okay. on that. But okay, so yeah, so what what else do you feel like you inherited, and then what were your first steps? Um. So I I just remember, you know, we, I think 
early on I realized, you know, I think like the second day that I was in the office was this event, um, whatever it was called. I don't remember what it was called, but it was the, the monthly young adult mass that was put on. It was actually not even put on by my, um, predecessor. Okay. It was put on by the vocation office. Okay. So I think they were so frustrated with the lack of things that were going on. Oh my gosh. So Keith Harone and Matt Mays. Okay. And Father Steve Cook at the time. Okay. Came up with this. Oh. So And so it, it really wasn't even it wasn't even my should have belonged in your department. Yes. But right. other people felt the need to create this yes, event. Yes. That... But they were happy to let me take it over. Okay. Because gotcha. they basically saw a need and filled it, but didn't necessarily have the time to be doing that. But they okay. just felt like there needed to be things that were drawing young men so that they could actually have have the opportunity to talk to these guys about... Religion. Religious life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Priesthood. Okay. okay. So, so basically by day two, you realize things are pretty dead around here. Yes. Okay. So, yes. Then, so then what were your first steps? So... I feel like it was probably a month, you know, I was just kind of trying to figure it all out. There were, um, you know, some things I kind of had to clean up a little bit. And I, I think we very quickly realized that, you know, this event is great and we could grow this, this young adult mass. Yeah. But the problem is you could have a deep conversation with someone, but when you don't see them for a month, right? when you do reconnect, it's almost as if you're starting over. Yeah, you're, you're basically strangers again, almost. So we really felt like there needs to be something more so that we can have contact with these people on a you know weekly basis, bi-weekly basis. So we started, the very next event was Soul Food. Okay. And it was basically a book study. I think we started with Letters to a Young Catholic. And we would just, you know, Xerox off a chapter and read it together and discuss... Uh-huh. And then go to Soul Cantina on 31st Street afterwards. Okay. Which for was kind of a cool fellowship. Venue. Yes, yeah. it was very cool. It used to be one of my favorite places. Um, so anyway, cheap beer, cheap uh, Pacifico. $2.50, <laughs> I'm sure with inflation, that's uh, no longer the case. Yeah, $10 a yes. beer now. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> one nacho, $7. Yes, yes. so sad. But anyway, so we kind of started with that, and definitely I would say the people started coming, and, and every time someone would come, we'd get their information, and I started sending out, you know, a, at that time, maybe a bi-weekly email or a weekly email, I can't remember, but essentially it just kind of started growing from there, and I would say, again, I mean, there were just these key players, these people that the Lord just really brought um, to City on a Hill to help, to help it grow. And, you know, I, there's key moments where I feel like it just really, certain things that we started doing where it, it brought a lot of people and a lot of excitement. And I would say the two key things, this probably was in the beginning months of 2007. I'd have to go back and look. I don't know exactly, but it, probably about six months, you know, maybe somewhere around there. But um, basically two things. So we decided to, and this was Father Steve Cook's idea. Okay. To have our monthly young adult mass 
um, at Boulevard Brewery. Okay. Well, not the Mass, obviously. Not but, the Mass. Yeah, to have the after event at Boulevard Brewery, and he felt like, you know, if we asked them, we could probably get a good deal, because it was kind of, at that time, it was still an up-and-coming brewery. It was still pretty young. Mm-hmm. And right next door happened to be a beautiful Catholic church, Our Lady of Guadalupe. And so I, I just remember that Father Steve and I went together to meet with staff at Boulevard Brewery, and they were very accommodating and gracious and generous. And obviously, a Tuesday night, we were going to switch it to Tuesday night. That's an off night where they're not going to have a lot of uh, a lot of people inquiring about renting the space. So they had this beautiful third floor venue that had a beautiful outdoor patio area or a, a deck area yeah. that overlooked downtown Kansas City. And I love the Kansas City skyline. Some people probably think it's pretty puny if they've come from other places, but I think it's perfect. Well, yeah, and, I, yeah, I suppose could be puny, but yeah. the view on that particular deck yes. is very yes. fantastic. You get to see all the highlights of the Kansas City skyline, and you know, inside it's a beautiful ballroom. It's just a big, big space for people who don't know. Boulevard is a very popular beer around mm-hmm. here, and it's really grown. It, came out in 1989 and it's just grown and grown and grown. So, I mean, it's a very, this is kind of one of your signatures. It's just a cool venue. Yes. You know, you start, you always kind of start off with a theological event, Mm -hmm. you know, like, is it a book study? Is it people going to mass? And then people can have conversations, but then it expands to a cool venue. That was kind of like a carry, carry move. Yeah. So we, and I loved the church too, our, our lady of Guadalupe, um, uh, I loved that it was a it was a smaller church, smaller than the cathedral where we had that was kind of cavernous where it had formerly been hosted. You know, just a, a not a very warm place. I mean, beautiful right. but very big and right. you know just hard to feel like an intimate environment. Built, whereas, built for a thousand people yes. and not thirty people. Yes, and Our Lady of Guadalupe is this small parish in a kind of an ethnically it's a Hispanic neighborhood and it's just beautiful, you know, yeah. and it's small and it's intimate and we were able to to add on, you know, we would have a prayer rosary um, beforehand. I think mass was at six thirty PM. We would have a rosary at six PM with the opportunity for confessions. And there were, you know, always a lot of people that would come and, and take take advantage of that, which was really beautiful to see. Um, and then I would, you know, I, I don't know, we just had great, great people to do the music. And then when we would go over to Boulevard Brewery, uh, we would have live music. I had a couple friends that did that early on, and they would play out on the, the rooftop deck area. It was just fun, oh, you know, yeah. and, it, and yeah. it, I, I still remember that first month, you know, and that first, first time we hosted it, I don't know, there might have been... 75 people there but it was just very exciting and 75 people in that space makes it feel you know maybe a little flat but it was just Uh it quickly grew oh for sure and to the point where you know we had 225 plus people and they were saying to us you know that's the limit and so we had to basically say come come to mass get your program and that gets you in the door and then anybody who comes for just the after party right you know hopefully you'll be able to get in but yeah, yeah, just when it grows to that size, then you have to start doing some restrictions. Like, right. okay, you know, you need a ticket to get in. And maybe and that was a great problem to have. Yeah. So yeah. that was a that was a, an event, uh, a monthly event that I really looked forward to. 
I remember going up in the in the choir loft, you know, there were these side stairs out, outside where the, the vestibule was, and um, I just remember one of the first months going up there to look down over the crowd, and it was just like the pews were packed on both sides with all these young professionals, and I just remember kind of starting to cry, you know, just thinking like, this is amazing. How did you get the word God is doing out? amazing How things. did you get the word out to let people know that this exists, you know, because, I mean, it's a great event, but if nobody knows it exists, then, yes. you know, where are you? Yeah, so, I mean, um, email list was okay. a huge So I, I take it people shared those, you know, because... They would probably tell their friends. Yeah, they must have, yeah, forwarded it on. And, and we were just very insistent, you know, really always making it, making an effort to meet the new people that were there saying, if you're new, come up and talk to me. Um, and making that, you know, a positive touch point for them where they feel welcomed. And early on, you know, it's just all growing so quickly. So we didn't have anything structured as far as like a hospitality team, but but to, you came up with that, too. Yeah, but um, just really wanting people to feel welcomed and trying to have have a few moments of engaging conversation with them. Just well, I, remember, about them. I remember you'd even write down their interests, you know, so that if this person oh. likes tennis or mm -hmm. if this person likes running or yes. if this person likes I don't know, like Jane Austen, uh -huh. then, you know, maybe we could pair them up Connect with somebody else who likes something mm -hmm. like that and, you know, just have some sort of a bonding Yes. Type of the thing. Yeah. So. And then, and then the other thing that was really important that, um, that we worked really hard on was to, uh, you know, they're obviously at, at Boulevard Brewery, there's all these tables and we would have an info table and we would make sure whatever the next things were that were coming up, whether that be, you know, signups for flag football or a theology on tap or a retreat, Band of Brothers, sisterhood those were the men's and women's and still are small groups um, but making sure to have information about that and I remember going to early on when I was in the position I went to a conference um, they had brought some guy in, into Kansas City this was actually scheduled before I even was in the position and one of the biggest things that I learned from from him I think it was like Matt Pinto does that no name? doesn't ring, ring a bell, bell. okay uh -uh. so anyway I just remember him saying that you need to have some kind of an, a kind of an information table for people so okay. that if they feel completely awkward, they have somewhere where they can stand where they feel like they're doing something, you know, <laughs> like where they if they're nobody's talking to them, which I with you know, ideally that's that would never be the case where they would feel awkward and alone. Hopefully somebody would identify this person is new and they're standing by themselves right. and I'm gonna go talk to them. Right. Um, Look, I, I've heard people say, hey, going to an event like that where there's, I don't know, 150 people, 200 people, it's very intimidating. Very intimidating. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, I'm a classroom teacher, so like I've tried to learn to not be intimidated by these things, but I guess I can really see their point, you mm -hmm. know? I, I mean, it's, it's rough for people. So, I mean, I, I just think like all the efforts at hospitality were just brilliant, mm -hmm. just brilliant at your part. Well, there were a lot of lot of people that helped to make that happen. So, so that was one um, signature event that I feel like the Lord really used to help grow City on a Hill and kind of help it to gain a lot of momentum. Um, and so, I, yeah, I would definitely credit 
Father Steve Cook for the vision for that. Um, and then as and the other event would be Catholic Challenge Sports. Yeah, let's talk and, about that because yes. that was that was like I don't know three times the size or something. You know, of the two states at the Boulevard. Mm-hmm. So could be four times. I, I would credit uh, Matt Mays for that because they had done at Atlanta Catholic Challenge Atlanta Catholic Sports. I think it was ACS. Okay. And so he had seen that done really well in Atlanta. And so he he was very passionate about getting that started. And I will, you know, be honest and say that I just felt like it was just a beast. You know, like, how do we even start this? There's just so many things that go into that. I wouldn't know. I, so... I honestly wouldn't know. Like, how do you get a field? Uh, how do you get referees? What do you do if somebody gets injured out there? Uh, you know, the easy parts for me would be like, oh, collecting the money. Right. You know, writing a registration form. Okay, well, I can even be... even you know, recruiting enough teams to actually make a league happen. I mean, there's just right. so many right. details. What right? if we don't get enough people? What if we were planning on eight teams? Could we pare this down to four teams if we had to? Right. But it seemed like people always went out. Yeah. So he he just really propelled that forward, and I credit him with that. Just really having the passion and the vision to make it happen, and um. So I was kind of working with a an unstructured leadership team to help me with all the aspects of sitting on a hill and getting that going and growing. And he really took that on of getting that that Catholic Challenge Sports board started. Okay. And so um, it made sense for me to be a part of that since it was going to be an extension of sitting on a hill. Yeah. Directly related. And so we... The first first sport that we had was I want to say it was in the the you know winter of two thousand eight okay. maybe two thousand seven two thousand eight dodgeball okay I still remember it I don't even know how many teams we had to begin with but people ate it up oh, sure. it was so much yeah. fun and it yeah. was amazing and just a blast you tons know? of it people just went out brought a lot of people out of the woodwork that maybe had not shown up for, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are not, they're not initially interested in spiritual opportunities. Right, right, right. And you so, say, oh, we have a book study. We have yes. a spiritual book study. You they're know? not going to come to that, no, you know, no, but they're going to come gonna... to Boulevard Brewery for beer and pizza that's and they're right. going to come out for dodgeball. And so that's when I really saw, I think that's when it really clicked, you know, that you just, to use language of, uh, Curtis Martin from Focus, um, Fellowship of Catholic University Students, you have to have those win events, you know, that draw okay. people in. What's, what's win? That's an so acronym. So W-I-N, I don't know that it's an acronym for anything. Okay. Um, what's but, a winning event? But it basically then? just means, you know, the type of event where, you know, let's say you have some guy that is just going out to the bars every weekend and mm -hmm. he grew up Catholic and maybe he goes ever, ever so often for sure on Christmas and Easter, but he's not, not showing up for mass each week. He's okay. not, you know, making use of, um, you know, the sacraments of going to confession or any of those things. But if you uh, invite him to play dodgeball, you know, if somebody is his, co his co work colleague and they say, Hey, there's this dodgeball league. He'll go. He might go. He might go to that, you know, and once he goes there, he's going to meet these other people. And some of those people are going to be rough around the edges. And some of those people are going to be, perhaps far along in their faith and very on fire for their faith. And some of those people, I mean, those people are really fun. 
Yeah, he's going to meet and a they nice... genuinely, authentically want to get to know him as a person. And from that, obviously, springs forth a new friendship. And it just moves on from there. Yeah, you kind of got to meet people where they are. You know, like <laughs> if he likes, hey, you know, I like beer and I like sports. Well, then, hey, we're Catholic. Well, we like beer and we like sports. So let's let's just meet people where they're at. Right. And then see if we can draw you into the third thing mm-hmm. or the fourth thing. You know, which might be the Bible study or the service project, something like that. Or the like retreats or, or, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Theology on Tap was always a good move, too, just because controversial topic. Yeah, or... and I would say that's more of a win event as well because it's, you know, we did try to really kind of stay on topics that were hot-button topics or, you know, maybe a little bit more. I can't think of the word. Edgy. Edgy, yes. You know, but bring in really solid, charismatic speakers that's right. that could really articulate the church's teaching, right. teachings on those things. But and... who were also... Really in touch with people. Yes. You know? Yeah. And that was always really fun. Yeah, what's the, what's the old saying? Like, the shepherd has to smell like the sheep. Never heard that. Okay, one, well, I, I think that's one of them that's out there. You know? <coughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, you just, you have to be one of the people. Yeah. So to speak. Yes. Yeah. So, um, okay, so those were all like the major things going. And at this point, gosh, you've got good marketing going, which is primary. I think it's email, but it's also word of mouth. And Facebook. Okay, and mm-hmm. Facebook, which, yeah, back when Facebook was fun and cool. This is like 2007 <laughs> or 8. I, right. It was I, still very new. and It was new. Yeah, it was yeah. like initially and There was no college. such thing as Instagram yet. Yeah. Or really podcasts. Right. Right. Well, I, I think maybe the first podcasts were could have been 2004, 2005, okay. but, but they not, certainly were not. They were not on, on people's, people's visibility yeah. or anything like Absolutely. that. Yeah. And Facebook used to be for young people. Mm-hmm. Whenever I say that to 18 year olds and 17 right. year olds today, yes. they take out a pencil and write that down because they think they're in history class whenever <laughs> you say that to them, you know. And I say, hey, whenever you're older and you want your kids to spend less time on social media, there's one trick that always works. And they say, what's that? And I say, well, just get out of yourself and friend them, you know, because you'll be older, they'll be younger, and then that will be cringe for them. Yeah, yeah. They will just be cringing, and mm-hmm. then they will get off of that site. So there you have anytime it. you want to get them <laughs> off of a site, that's the way to do it. Yeah. So, okay, so that's kind of the middle period, and it's, it's just growing gangbusters. And so we, I think we kind of went through a whole bunch of the positives. What were, I, I don't know if I want to say challenges. Yeah, maybe challenges. Challenges could be positive or they could be negative. What were the challenges of the middle period? Um, yeah, I mean, there were definitely always, you know, growing pains for sure. Um, I would say, you know, finding a way to, it, it's a little complicated in Kansas City because we have, one metropolitan area that's separated by a state line. So you have Kansas City, Kansas, and you have Kansas City, Missouri. So you have two different bishops. And it was a little complicated there for a while with figuring out how do we, you know, I think the people, now it's, this is no longer even an issue, but for a while it was like, okay, so I live in Kansas. Can I go over to the Missouri side to do this? Territorial. Territorial. Yeah, there were some challenges there. Um, there was a sports league that was started on the Kansas side for a while and, you know, there was just some, a little bit of awkwardness with that and also just, and eventually that dissolved and it was no longer an issue, but I think just some concern with, man, are there enough people to sustain both of these 
right. sports leagues. I'm right. not too sure about right. that. I mean, yes, right. theor- uh, theoretically there are, or statistically there are. Do we need eight grocery stores in a small town <laughs> yeah. of a thousand people? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's... Uh, I know I've heard the, st- the stats from the current staff of City on a Hill on how many young adult Catholics there are in Kansas City, and I want to say it's like... 150,000 or something like that. I could be way off, wow. but okay. I mean, but there's so many, even today, there's so many Catholics that still don't know that city on a hill even exists. exists. Even people that come from like really faithful Catholic families, just because it's, it's very, it's a beast, you know, trying to get the word out to people. There's a lot of competing messages For and sure. it's just a challenge and, and it will be done and it can be done. But at the time, you know, there was just some concern What's going to happen with this other sports league starting? How is that going to affect our numbers? And it ultimately really didn't, and you know, over the, over the long haul. But there was a little bit of concern about that. Also, just finding a way. Once City on a Hill grew to host, I mean, we had gosh, two to three events being offered every single week, plus organic opportunities for fellowship so right. it was busy you know i mean there yeah. was just a lot going on yeah. and it was a huge blessing you know almost every night of the week i would actually i'm a total extrovert and i would you know if i got a rare friday or saturday night at home to myself it was kind of a treat you know You're just like, because yes it's friday night and finally i can yes. stay home by myself yeah and not to say that i would of course like want to do that every weekend but there was so much going on and so many good things and 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 really, maybe you could argue too much going on. I don't know. I mean, I could. There's, there's an opportunity to debate that, like you know, because there were certainly the people that went to everything, but there uh-huh. were certain things that people gravitated towards this or oh, that. Oh, for sure, for sure. And it was meeting different needs, and we were trying to vary the opportunities so that you could really kind of meet people where they were at, the different type of people and the different needs and all of those things. Were people coming to you with ideas? You know, of, hey, I would like to run this particular program. Yes, you know, there was this like guy to... named Tim Webker. <laughs> well, I, I did one. I did one, but I'm not yeah. here to my No, own no, board. I know. Yeah, no, I mean, so, yeah, there were definitely things that would, would come up. And um, I probably at times hurt people's feelings by rejecting some of those okay. ideas but it but it was they kind of had to suit the mission or the brand yeah i know? mean i think it could get out of control and you kind of we had to learn to have parameters you know people would say hey can you advertise this event and i had to say you know i'm sorry we can't because if right. we have if we're advertising all these different things especially things if i'm getting the word out about your event but i have no part in your event and then it ends up being a total bust then right you know, that is right. now associated with sitting on a hill and that yes. gets tricky. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the events had to be Catholic and, or they had to have like a kind of a Catholic flair. Yeah, That's and part specifically of it. Be, but they also had to be, I, they just had to suit, they, they kind of had to fit into the constellation of the other offerings. Yes, I would say so. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, for instance, you know, when you offered to do, Financial Peace University, um, and we hosted that in the Meyer Catholic Quarter, which was a, a young adult neighborhood um, in Brookside for people that live in Kansas City. It was that was an amazing blessing in my life, and I lived there for eight years. That's another cool thing that you did. Can you explain what that was exactly, that, like how that came about? Mm-hmm. Because you kind of invented that. 
I kind of feel like I can't take credit for that. Really? I feel like the Holy Spirit just okay. really just okay. dropped that idea, okay. made it very clear. Um, but yeah, we, so initially there were three girls living in, I don't know if you want to call them, it's a duplex, but it's more like a flat. I know we don't really use that uh -huh. term, but, um, you know, a, a one story, one over the other, you know, like a big, beautiful house that has two entrances and one is the upstairs and the other one's the downstairs. And they had an internal back stairwell that went all the way up to a huge attic and all the way down to a huge basement that had a four car tandem garage. Yeah. Um, and all of these houses were along along the street were all very similar in in their floor plan. They're kind of beasts of buildings. Yes, they're really. They're I mean, really they're cool. each about two thousand square feet each level. So I mean, that's a you know four thousand square foot house. That's pretty big. Yeah, they're huge. Um, and, and I later learned after I bought one of those that they actually had initially been the place where people lived while okay. they were waiting for their Mission Hills estates to be built oh okay so, okay so these super fancy beast buildings yes. that we're discussing were just the waiting residences for people to move into their mansions yes exactly okay yeah so okay kind of an interesting history there but um you know basically uh, there were three girls that were living in one of these and then they found out that hey the upstairs girls are moving out and i, I had moved home to live with my parents post quitting my job as a teacher before I had anything lined up because I got nervous. You know, I had applied for a couple jobs, hadn't gotten either one of those, and then I thought, oh, crap. Mm -hmm. I, I, I need it. Before I renew this <laughs> lease of these girls I'm living with in Waldo that are great, like, I should probably hightail at home. So I ended up living at home for, like, the first seven months that I was in the young adult director position. So when the opportunity um, came up to move upstairs from this group of girls, I jumped on it okay. with... With a couple other girls. Early yeah. on, it was just uh, me and one other because the third ended up kind of backing out. And so it was a few months that the, just the two of us were living there. But um, ultimately, we got a third. And so we just loved it. I mean, it was like being in college, you know, but living, it was like I didn't, I went to a, a state university, but I felt like I was at a, a Catholic college. But I went to work and got paid, and then I came home and didn't have to do any studying, no tests to prepare for, no papers to write. So it was like the best of both worlds because I had expendable income. Our rent was very reasonable. These houses had a lot of character. And we, and we essentially, you know, we loved it so much. And we started noticing that this was a highly transient block. Okay. Really, two yeah. blocks. Okay, people... Where they're always for rent signs. Okay. You know, and, and so then we just had these other two, you know, girlfriends that we were like, hey, there's a place available across the street. You guys should move in. Mm. And so they took the bait and they're like, okay, we'll move in. And so then we had, now we had nine girls. Okay. Living on the street and it was just such a blast. Yeah. And we thought, you know what? Why don't we create this thing... Call it the Meyer Catholic Quarter and start posting these places that are for rent so that people can start getting their friends together and jumping on these houses. And so that's what happened. I mean, you really have an old-fashioned neighborhood where people actually know their neighbors. Yes. And, you know, okay, what was the maximum count? 35. Okay, so I mean, yeah, you had 35 people who knew each other and there's always something going yes. on. It was so you fun know? because you could come home from work and be like, hey, does anybody want to go on a run yep. or a walk? Does anybody want to watch a movie tonight? 
And of course we started, you know, bringing in like actual structured things. Like we would have a month, once a month fellowship night with everybody. One of the houses would host it. Um, we did a weekly rosary on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Um, we were doing a Sunday brunch once a month for a while there. And I think we would also host every year. We would host at least one movie on the lawn. Like we would put up a huge projector screen. Okay. And every, every Good Friday... So we would do, I'm trying to think of, I cannot remember what that's called, but um, this was an idea that was bought, brought to me by one of the young adults, um, Sarah Davis, I think was her name. I'm blinking right now, but basically where the week of Holy Week, you do all these different things. Oh, so I'm, yeah. Um, like Monday night? On Holy night. Thursday, okay. well, Holy, starting with Triduum, basically. Okay. So Holy Thursday... We, you know, went around to the different churches, like we had mass, or not, yeah, is it mass on, yes, it is mass on Holy Thursday, um, with, we would go, and then you go, what is that called, where you go to the different, you can go to different churches, like you go to seven different churches, and you pray there with Jesus, um, you know, like the uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm, I'm it's, just it's so literally like right uh, now. like it's like a pilgrimage within a city. Yes, basically. So, so we did that. You go from church to church to church to church, and it just sort of I don't know. It's it's something you don't ordinarily do, right? And you're with people who are your friends. Yeah, you know your own age bracket, and yeah. so you know it's kind of like pray. Oh, now get in the car and talk, and then pray a little bit more now yes it's just such a bonding experience it was really powerful and i had never heard of that before so she orchestrated the details for that that was something that i jumped on that i was like yes this would be awesome so we did that and then on good friday um we had actually already been doing this for a few years before we did the holy thursday thing um but we would um watch the passion of the christ yes we would get a gibson movie yeah we would get a we would have this very simple like soup dinner um with just soup and bread I watched The Passion of the Christ together. Well, we started we started doing it on the front lawn okay. in the Meyer Catholic Quarter if it was okay. a nice night. So we would put up the projector screen. We'd bring out couches. And we would have random people because it was a, a neighborhood where it had huge sidewalks and people walked a lot, which yeah. I, I loved that. Yeah. I, I miss that living now in the suburbs. People don't do that as much. No, it was a great place for dogs and but, jogging and... People would just literally walk up and they'd be like, what are you watching? And we'd just talk to them and invite them to stay. And sometimes they'd stay and watch the Passion of the Christ with us while while Father's hearing confessions in the screen and porch. So that was really powerful. And then, you know, Saturday night we would go to Easter Vigil, especially if there was somebody from the young adult community that was coming into the church. We would go to whatever parish they were at to support them. And then we would go back to the Meyer Catholic Quarter and everybody would bring... You know, if they gave up bacon, I don't know if they gave up, whatever they gave up, you know, they might bring... Whatever uh, you gave up. If you yeah, gave up, I don't know, yeah. chocolate or bacon. And then bacon we just or, party and celebrate, yeah. you know, the beginning of the Easter Easter season until 2 or 3 in the morning. And it was just so much fun. All those bad habits that you kicked to the curb during Lent? Yes. They're back. <laughs> yes. So anyway, um, that was great. And I just remember we would, you know, you were a part of this. We... we uh, trained for a half marathon together and we would often you know meet right there in the Meyer Catholic Quarter and just go from there to the trolley trail to to train do our long runs but just have a lot of amazing memories and and living in community with other people that that are striving for holiness and wanting to grow in their faith their Catholic faith um 
was just really powerful. The community aspect is huge, and I don't think I can overstate it. I, I feel like I made some lifelong friends. Mm-hmm. I feel that other people who were involved uh, made even more lifelong friends. Um, obviously, a bunch of marriages came out of it. A bunch mm-hmm. of children now exist who wouldn't otherwise exist. Uh, people have gone on to do some very, very great things in their professional life, but I think part of the reason they've been able to do that is because they they really have a strong sense of mission, which is given to them by their faith and also mm-hmm. by the community because people have formed groups that still go on to this day. I, I know of some that, you know, the, the couples, there'd be five or six couples that all met through Sedana Hill and the guys have a guy's group and the women mm-hmm. have a women's group and... And their children are growing up knowing each other. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like uh, a set of cousins. I mean, you're not related to them. Right. You know, but just the, the level of community and the, the level of spiritual growth and sense of purpose in life and friendship and just a sense of peace, you know, that people have in their hearts. It's just very apparent to me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the fruits of this could be generational because yes. the ripple effect for the next generation is, and gosh, you did all this in five years. With a lot of help. Yeah, with a lot of help. Yes. But but I think that's what's so good about a lot of leaders, of course, is that they can actually get people to follow them. You know, to I there's other people out there who are, I don't know, they're yelling at the clouds or something, trying to get the world to be the way they want it to be. And and here you are actually creating an organization that kind of started at maybe thirty people, but then by the time you were done, I had something like seven or eight hundred people in the Facebook group. Something like that. And and then that was the foundation because then it just has bloomed and proliferated mm-hmm. from there. Mm-hmm. So um, that that's kind of my, my take on the whole thing. Kind of putting all the pieces together, um, where, where did you feel like the organization was at uh, in your last year? Um, yeah, I mean, we were definitely getting to a point where it was very full. And it was growing exponentially, and it was it was overwhelming. Okay. For me. Overwhelming. Um, you you think, had like a whole team working underneath you. Yeah, you had, I mean, like, I had like a, six, seven, eight people. There were twelve, twelve people 12. on the leadership team. Yeah, there were wow. all volunteers that okay. had professional careers, and they you know would do this with their extra time, and they were amazing, and they were generous, and. Um, but I mean, they're, they're running things like Catholic challenge sports, which might have mm-hmm. some sports with 200 people. Yeah. And that was a separate, I mean, that, that was a whole separate board of okay. eight or 10 people. And then Tuesdays was, you know, consistently getting 150 to 200. I'd say 225. Okay. Yeah. yeah getting 225. And, mm-hmm. and that's a beast. Mm-hmm. I mean, that required so many volunteers to make that whole mm-hmm. thing work. I, I believe you had a guy who's an accountant. Yes. You know, who Chester was, Moyer. Yeah, yep. yeah. Shout out to mm-hmm. Chester. Yeah, writing the whole thing. Yeah, uh, just and then you had Bible studies all over the place, mm-hmm. uh, and and also other faith groups. You know, you mm-hmm. mentioned Band of Brothers. That was various guy groups, and then there was Sisterhood. Where, gosh, I think at various points you had anywhere from like seventy to eighty women, could be more, I participating yeah. in in mm-hmm. these like every single week. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you had to find leader after leader after leader mm-hmm. to do all of these things. Yeah. And it, I mean, they really, it was very, it was pretty easy to identify, you okay. know. Who's got um, the leadership skills? Yeah. Just, okay. How do you do that? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Here, I've been a teacher for, you know, a long time. and But I, I don't know. I mm-hmm. don't know how you identify. 
by those leadership traits. Yeah, I mean, I've I've always used the acronym, again, received from Focus okay. Ministries, um, from Curtis Martin, but FACT is, let's see, Faithful. Okay. Accountable. Accountable, okay. Con- Meaning responsible. Contagious and teachable. Okay. Contagious and teachable, okay, okay. And I feel like that's... That's important. Those are all important components to finding a leader. Okay. Okay. And is that just kind of like you look at a person and you know, or you speak with them for a little while and these things just jump out at you? or Yeah, I think you're able to, as you're just kind of running along, you're able to identify the other people that are on fire, you know, that have had conversions and are passionate Mm. and wanting to give and are volunteering of their time. Okay. And And Carrie, you don't have to mention any names, but can you give me an example of maybe one or two of the best leaders? Oh my goodness. Like just how you could tell those things, like faithful, um, accountable, meaning responsible, uh, contagious, meaning, you know, enthusiastic and, and people want to be with this person, charismatic, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh, and then what was the last one? Teachable. Teachable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. They're not know-it-alls. They can uh-huh. be, they learn. Yeah. I mean, there were just so many. It's. Okay. Maybe it's... be easier to come up with the one who um, maybe you wish you hadn't acquired. <laughs> <laughs> Other than me. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, you know, I can't actually think of anybody that, I mean, I, obviously I wouldn't name them. You had a if good winning did, streak going then. Yeah, I mean, there was never, but any, there was never someone that was put into a leadership position where I thought, oh, they're failing this. Okay. You know? Okay. Okay. Um, you know, right about the time that you were kind of thinking, hey, I've done this for five years and, and uh, life circumstances, you kind of wanted to move on and things like that. I remember having a discussion at the time about getting a person to, I I guess, to be the successor Mm -hmm. and just, and I was just thinking about how difficult that is because a lot of these organizations, not just in the Catholic world, but in a lot of places, you really have the right person who comes in and they create this wonderful thing and then it just grows and grows and it turns into this, this amazing one of a kind institution. And then they bring in the new person and then it just sort of rumbles you know how do you avoid that fate because i mean city on a hill is still here it's thriving Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. doing well i I feel like some of the traits that the leader might bring could include creativity and how the heck do you teach that Mm. yeah so you know i think you actually really helped me in kind of because I get overwhelmed with some of those details, a lot of the administrative stuff or, you know, just I know what I want to say, but I know, you know, we've got to leave these people with some kind of a guidebook. Uh-huh. And you were so gracious to write that. Yeah. <laughs> Which, um, <laughs> you know, recently, actually, Michelle Cuny, who's another person that uh, she's she's on the, the Sitting on a Hill board with me. Okay. And she, I just remember her saying when she read that, she just was like crying, you know? I mean, she just was so moved by so many of the things that she read. So, wow. so good work, Tim. Well, I should back up and I should tell people what we're talking about. Um, just right around that time in 2011, uh, you kind of wanted to put together some sort of a guidebook for 
uh, anybody who might come after you. But then I think another purpose was, hey, there's about four of these really excellent programs in the United States. Why aren't there 400? Mm. Why aren't there 4,000? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe if there was some sort of a guidebook, it could go out there. So really all I did was I just interviewed you Mm -hmm. And just really try to put it all together and just really try to tell the whole story of City on a Hill. And then the last chapters sort of spelled out, okay, this is what a band of brothers looks like. This is what a sisterhood looks like. Uh, here's like the Alajan Tap, etc. Just all the various component pieces. And I, I do remember us talking about what to do when you're supposed to move on, you know, like when the leader moves on. And we talked about how you, you really kind of need to have a leader who's going to be creative mm -hmm. afterward. And that's kind of tough to do because institutions can get very administrative and bureaucratic and bureaucracy is the opposite of creative. Mm -hmm. Like when you think about what an artist is or what an entrepreneur is, uh, they have to be willing to like tear parts out and then put new parts in, sometimes with no proof or metrics whatsoever, sometimes mm -hmm. with just a gut feeling. Um, bureaucracies hate that. Mm -hmm. You know, bureaucracies want to do the same thing over and over and over again uh, and, and just be very programmatic, basically. So you might even have to kill an organization at the end versus like have it turn into something you don't want to turn it into. But mm -hmm. that's that's really all I can remember. Do you, do you feel like, I mean, it has thrived. Why, why do you think that it's it's continued to thrive? Because I think the Lord wants it to. Okay. Okay. You know, I think, uh, I believe that there is just such, such a need for this. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, maybe now more than ever, just because people are... <sighs> I would say the era that we live in, I'll tell you my, I'm, I'm interrupting. I should... No, I should you're let fine. You, well, okay, I'll, I'll go first and then you can tell me what you think. And if you disagree, I actually like that because mm -hmm. I, I like when people disagree with me because then I learn something. Okay, but, well, I'll be sure to disagree Okay, whatever you say. Please, please, <laughs> please be contrarian. But I mean, we're recording this in mid-March of 22 and I just feel like the world has been through hell for roughly about the last two years. Mm -hmm. You know, there mm -hmm. was all of the, the lockdowns uh, that happened worldwide. And there's just lots of statistics on the damage that isolation has mm -hmm. caused for people. Mm -hmm. um, and just the depression that comes with isolation and just the statistics on drug abuse. Drug abuse is way up. Opioid use is way up. Mm -hmm. Alcoholism is way up. I heard some statistic about how much weight you know, the millennials have gained, mm -hmm. like, because, hey, we're stuck at home, I think I'll have another chocolate treat. Mm -hmm. You know, just people have been isolated, and gosh, okay, I teach these classes that involve spies and wars, and if you ever want to break somebody, like, if you ever want to torture somebody, isolation is a tool mm -hmm. that nasty dictatorships use yes. to crush people's spirits and make them confess. So... Yeah, just isolation, I think, has just been very, very, very hard on people. Just very, very hard on people. So, and, and I mean, there's other things that have made these last two years, I think, very rough on people. But mm -hmm. that's that's my key. Yeah, I that's, would agree that's, with that. Yeah, if I had to pin it down on one big thing, I'd say the isolation has been bad. Mm -hmm. And then I, on top of that, I would say the dependence on social media yeah. as our means of... Communication. Communication. Communicating, and, yeah, and, and, social... and communing with other people. You know, it's this yeah. facade of community. Yep. And and that has obviously been 
exacerbated in the last two years. Yes. And so... Yeah, you can't talk to people, so you do the next best thing, which is get on social media, but it's not a real relationship. Right. And I would say, you know, those things coupled with... I mean, this is... All of that is obviously new and and post my time with this... With City on a Hill, but... Even back then, you know, I mean, people are getting married later and later, if at all, and they're transient, they're moving Mm -hmm. away from their families, and so there's just this... More isolation? More isolation, and I mean, there's just, you know, that craving to be be known, and people don't even know how to articulate that, and they don't even necessarily recognize it within them. There's also this... I would presume this is a newer phenomenon. My husband and I always marvel at the, I don't even know how to describe it, but I remember we went to a wedding um, of someone that I had met through City on a Hill. And this was, she had been kind of, you know, had moved on and had done other things and, you know, we were married and at that time for probably, gosh, five, four or five years. And so we didn't really know too many people at this wedding. Okay. And so we were put at a, t- I don't even, I don't think they had assigned seats, but we, we sat down at a table with like two other couples. Okay. And we sat there for like an hour and a half. And I kid you not, we asked these people probably, oh, 50 questions. Okay. Felt like 50. They never asked us a single question back. Yeah, that whole thing. There's this, it's like we don't know how to have a conversation. conversation Well, look, I I think it's always hard. I don't know. I just think back to my own childhood. And I was a shy kid up until about the age of 16. And then I've been a lifelong college and or high school teacher. And so, I mean, you just, you really realize, okay, there's a mix of people out there. You can look at personality tests and they used to say 75% of the public is pretty extroverted and the other 25% is pretty introverted. But gosh, in classroom after classroom, you just see these quirky little things. Like uh, you'll just see kids burrow into their laptops and not talk mm-hmm. to other people. But before there were laptops, they would just burrow into a book mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that. And then just in a lot of other rooms, the girls will just naturally all sit on the left side and the boys will all sit on the right side. And I am thinking this would be a perfect time for you to mix and mingle. Uh-huh. Dating is a lot easier when the pool is a lot larger mm-hmm. and you're all the same age and you all have something in common. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you should consider talking to each other a little bit. But I guess they're terrified. They don't know what that other person's going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, from my point of view, gosh, everybody here is actually a very nice person. Mm-hmm. The fishing is great. You know, you should put your line in the water. But... From their standpoint, this is very scary, you know. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe we could be doing a better job of teaching people to communicate, to socialize, mm-hmm. to take an interest in other people, to ask questions, yeah. like you mentioned. And I think that was something that we really tried to infuse into Sitting on a Hill was just really being leaders in showing people their dignity, reminding people of their dignity, simply, I don't know how to describe it exactly, but just, you know, really showing people that we desire to know their person, to know them, who they are, 
what they think, where they come from, why they are the way that they are. We like you. Yeah. And, we like you. And we want to know you. Yeah. We want to is... know all about you, you know? And so that was something that we really, really tried hard to, to make an integral part within City on a Hill. Which, that's why at these big events, you'd have hospitality teams. Yes, and because they... it became so large that that was impossible. Right. <laughs> impossible to meet every every person that was new. You yeah, know? you didn't want people showing up at something like a Tuesdays at the Boulevard, which has 200 people. They make a connection with nobody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we started doing, if I remember correctly, on their name tag. Um, when they would come in the door, they would get a name tag, and that was also very helpful um, just to be able to see someone's name, and you may have met them two or three times, but you know, for those of us that struggle with names... But I think that we actually would, if it was their first time, they would get a certain color star. Oh, okay, yeah. So that the hospitality team could walk around and identify, oh, this person's new. Yeah. You know, like I, I really want to make an extra effort to just converse with them and make them feel welcome. Yeah, look, I, I just think what's good about that is I, I just concluded a lot of people think socializing just happens naturally and it just happens easily and... And some people are just super friendly and they have a lot of friends and it just seems like it's effortless for those people. Um, But for a lot of other people, that's not the case. And if they just knew a few conversational tricks, you know, like how to show an interest in another person. Just one that I, I have used very frequently is whenever I go over to somebody's house or go to a social event, I just say a little prayer where I say, God, help me to always be good for these people and help them to always be good for me. And uh, I, I put in both clauses because, well, hey, I think that's part of their salvation to also be good for me. But I, I guess I'm also doing it from a selfish standpoint. But but I, just also, too, if, if you take the focus off of yourself, then social events are a lot less intimidating. Yes. You know, and then other people would say things to me like, why don't you go cheer up the loneliest person? You know, so you'd go into a room that would have about 20 people and just pick you know, just realize, okay, that other person over there, they're kind of lonely. Why don't you just go chit-chat with them? Mm. You know, and then I tell you what, there was a book that I read by Matthew Kelly called The Seven Levels of Intimacy. And that was like a life changer for me because Mm. I would have this tendency to, I don't know, want to jump in with maybe a deep conversation. But if you don't know the person, you can't really do that. And he said conversations worked on seven levels. And the first level was the level of cliche. People were like, how are you? And they were like, I'm fine. How are you? Or what's up, dog? You know, Mm -hmm. and then the second level was facts, which explained why people talk about the weather or about, you know, who won the game last night. You know, Mm -hmm. people are just exchanging facts. And then the third level was opinion. And that's where people were going to either be able to have a friendship or not have a friendship. Because if we have a difference of opinion, we both have to have the maturity Mm -hmm. to actually accept the fact that the other person has a different opinion than we do. And then all the really good stuff in conversation that I really wanted to do, which was like, tell the other person your hopes and dreams for life. That was level four. Tell people your feelings. Uh, I'm a guy. I don't even know if I have feelings, but that was level five. Uh, then level six was things like your legitimate needs, like what do you need in life to be happy? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then level seven was fears and failures, mm-hmm. you know, like confessing, like what's the worst thing you ever ha- happened to you? Mm-hmm. Well, you're only going to do that with your very, very closest and deepest friends, mm-hmm. you know, but what was so great about it was I just realized, oh, 
So I need to actually start off kind of shallow. I need to compliment people on their shoes or their handbag or say, hey, what's that book you're reading? Mm -hmm. Or just, you know, just keep it very, very light. I mean, that was very good for a person like me. Yeah, I'm impressed that you can remember all of that. All those in order. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) See, that's because I'm such a nerd, you know? (laughs) So, well, here's another good conversational trick. I've tried to teach this to teenagers is whenever you answer questions, use the word because. Because if you don't, a conversation is dead. Like if I say, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? What would you say? Mint chocolate chip. Okay, and then the conversation might be over Mm. at that point. But if I say, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And you say mint chocolate chip because, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you're like, because my mom used to make homemade (laughs) mint chocolate chip. And then there's a story attached to it. Mm -hmm. You know, so I try to... Tell kids that kind of thing. Well, you know, sometimes use because or ask the other person why, you know? Right. Yeah, just draw them out a little bit. But it's it's rough, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's just an interesting dynamic. Yeah, I'd love to study there. that more if I had if more you time had the on my hands. Time or the energy <laughs> or the effort. Well, I guess I got off track a little bit. Um, okay, so where now it's like ten years later, where is City on a Hill at now? And and where do you hope to see it grow. What's your role in it today? Well, um, City on a Hill has gone through a very exciting transition as of a few months ago um, under the direction of Father Mattingly. He has done an amazing job uh, in Taylor Downey. Um, they essentially, so he's a, he's a priest in the Diocese of Kansas City, Missouri, St. Joseph, and he was designated to serve as director. Okay. But he's still doing his priestly duties. So I think he said in the last meeting we had as a board that he's only able to allocate 30% of his time or, or something like that to sitting on a hill. Okay. So just knowing that, I mean, that was really awe-inspiring for me because he has done so much with, okay. with, with City on a Hill, with the apostolate. And so he, yeah, basically they have left the diocese, um, with the blessing of, of Bishop Johnston and have is now its own entity, um, which, which ultimately gives the apostolate the freedom to, kind of work outside of those parameters that you have when you're within okay. a diocese. So you're sort of escaping the big bureaucracy thing yes. that I talked about before. Exactly. Because, okay, yeah. I've read that the church is actually one of the world's most flexible bureaucracies, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually doesn't have very many administrators compared to any other mm-hmm. bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it's still worldwide. Mm-hmm. And there's thousands mm-hmm. of people who work for it. Right. You know, yeah. it's humongous. So it's really exciting. So we are a very young board. Um, we have just hired a new director for the ministry. So Father Mattingly will be stepping down in June. Okay. And Catherine Supernant will be taking over. Um, it's very, very exciting. She's amazing. And uh, I'm just really anxious to see how the Lord is going to use her. Okay. So. Okay. And so like in your advisory capacity right now, uh, you're, you're on the board? Is that Yes. Okay. Okay. So gosh, I don't know how to even ask the right question, but uh, yeah, I guess where do you see it going? What, what would be your vision for the whole thing? 
Um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, or is that her job to come up with that? Uh, I like, would say, yeah, that's probably her job okay, so more what, than it, it'll be interesting to see because I feel like you know how many meetings have we had? We've probably had maybe six meetings at this point. I think we meet every three months. Okay, and we've been so busy, you know, setting up the particulars of figuring out, you know, um, just the structure okay. of it as okay. far as, you know, what type of a candidate are we looking for and how do we want to structure their pay and their benefits and all of those type of things, you know, okay. setting up bank accounts. And I mean, thankfully, uh, I'm not in charge of doing all right, that. Right, right. Taylor Downey has been amazing. <laughs> yeah. She's done an incredible job of being the jack of all trades in every sense of the word. I mean, she's just amazing. But um, basically, you know, we haven't talked a lot about all of that, but I, I know that as a board, I can say we're really excited about Catherine's ability to see the gifts in people and being able to help identify where they would best be able to serve. Like she okay. just really has a great sense of that. Oh, and I'm she sure... has that people sense that you had. Yes, I would say so. Okay. And probably far and above what I had. Wow. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, I think um, she's really gifted. She just really reads people well. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, without going too much into her career, but I think she's about, what, 28 or so, and she's had some of these leadership positions before, hasn't she? Um. So she's never been in a director role, but she has worked in in different different uh, ministries for the church and she discerned religious life for three years she's just had a really interesting path yeah know? she's lived in a variety of cities and she's done just a, a wide variety of things and i'm i believe i'm interviewing her you know in about six weeks so i'm uh -huh. very excited that way i'll get to know her a yeah. little bit better yeah so absolutely okay so legacy wise i, I don't know have we have we I don't think we totally covered it. If you had a vision for either City on a Hill or for organizations like City on a Hill, say uh, you pick your number of years, 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, mm -hmm. 50 years from now, uh, I, I might be going too far out. What would be your, your legacy dream? Oh, well, I would love to see it replicated in every major diocese. In the United States. Okay. And potentially beyond. Okay. And I know that there are plans for for that to take place um, in the future. And I don't know the timeline on that. But I, I just have seen, you know, I've had the the opportunity to really be able to look back and just see how profoundly it has impacted so many people's lives. For sure. As you alluded to earlier, just, you know, children that wouldn't be here, marriages, I should say marriages that wouldn't be here, therefore children that wouldn't be here. Um, and it's just so incredible to see all of that and to see how God has used City on a Hill to really, I would say, you know, deeply impact the culture in ways that we can't even necessarily identify at this time you know like I'm hoping God willing when I get to heaven that I'll be able to see you know just the ripple effect of sitting on a hill and to me that's you know the greatest legacy and I, I think ultimately for myself I I am so 
I, I mean, I and I feel very confident that that it's since it has withstood the test of of the last few years with just a change in leadership. Several, I mean, you know, there have been. It was a five-year director, then a two-year, then a two-year, then now five. So okay, um, is that right? I think that's right. So yeah, there were some pretty short-term, maybe even a one-year in there. Oh yeah, I think I forgot one. So it was five, two, two, one, and now five. And you know, it's gone through a lot of changes, and and there were some times where it was a you know a little precarious, just in transitions. But I mean, God has just really fortified it and it's very exciting. And I mean, what I ultimately want, I'm being very wordy, but ultimately I am looking forward to my own children being a part of this. This Wow. Yeah, that's a cool you know, idea. Like, I really, really pray that it will still be strong and solid and bearing great fruit and, um, you know, giving, giving young adults the tools that they need to be able to strive for sainthood in a dark culture, you know, to be a light. Right. In a culture that can be very dark. Right. Right. And to be that. In a culture that's like mentally damaged as far as I'm concerned right now, due to all the isolation. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, disparage anybody when I say that. I just feel like, gosh, you know, if you had a broken leg, people would have you see a doctor. And it just seems obvious to me that people are not happy and people are, are anxious. Uh, it just, it just, people are on edge. Mm. It's just how it seems to me out there. Uh, and you know, the funny thing is though, every time I'm around people who are in larger groups of people, they seem happy. And so I, I just think, you know, religion absolutely helps and community absolutely helps. Mm -hmm. And City on a Hill was both at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it gave people a, a set of beliefs um, that are very powerful and very loving and, and just wanting to be generous and good to other people. You know, just very foundational. Mm-hmm. And it just brought people together, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I just love what you have to say on that. And to me, what would be really great would be is if your kids lived in a different city and then there was a City <laughs> on a Hill in... That place. Hopefully, as well. they won't live in a different city, but yeah, hopefully, they'll, well, your kids are <laughs> young and they you want them do, to be here. But if they right. do, then yes, I hope that there is a city on a hill there waiting for them. Well, I, I hope they're always here then in, mm-hmm. in this city if that's what you yeah. want. You know, it's what I want, so. but I don't know what God wants. That's right. That's right. Okay, um, Carrie, I think my last two questions for you are going to be what's next for you, my friend, in your life? Mm-hmm. And, um, Finally, is there anything that I, I should have asked that I did not ask? And then that will be that will be it. Okay. Well, uh, we are, um, as I was telling you earlier tonight, uh, before we were on uh, being recorded, um, our family has embarked on the homeschooling journey, and it has been really exciting. We're, you know, just whatever, uh, seven, I mean, you know, a semester and a half into it. And I'm really hopeful that we will continue on that journey. We're also really trying to take steps to become um, homesteaders of sorts. And we don't know if that's going to be on our property here. We have about a half acre, but we... Okay, what do you mean by home? Like raise your own food? I mean, yeah, just being more self-sustaining. Okay. Um, We're talking about getting chickens. Our kids are really excited about that. That's exciting. We have a garden um, that we've had for the last few years, but every year we kind of are expanding it and growing it more and 
just kind of trying to, yeah, become more self-sufficient. Well, you should move to rural Iowa where I grew up because there's all kinds of those people up there. Yes, there's a lot of people here too. I mean, we, and, and I feel like it's taken me, you know, moving from the Meyer Catholic Quarter, getting married, um, you know, being married seven, seven years now and having five kids, it's been a huge whirlwind. I, you know, married someone who was a widower and he already had two kids, so immediately having kids and then adding three more very quickly with a couple of miscarriages in there as well. It's just been a lot, but, um, it's been, your life's never boring. It's never boring. It's, it's always true. exciting. <laughs> <laughs> We're always piling it on too. You know, it's like what it would, could start to get a little less chaotic. You know, one of the two of us, my husband or myself, like the other day I said, Hey, I have this you know, gift card to, from a return at okay. uh, Tractor Supply. Do you want it? He was going to go buy some pants. He said, I said, do you want it? And he said, why don't we buy chickens with that? Oh, that's so <laughs> And so that's great. where the idea, you know, came from. Like, okay, now we're, you know, we've told the kids and they're all excited about it. So now we got to go through with this and get those chickens. But, um. I definitely will buy eggs from you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm hoping to, you know, get a little bit of supplemental side income with some of these things too, eventually. But it's fun we're kind of on a journey towards greater health with the way that we eat. And, um, you know, I'm going to start making bread. Oh, wow. My own bread. I'm getting a Wonder Mill, like an electric uh, grinder. You know, I mean, there's just a lot of things. I, I just had somebody give me a, um, I've been wanting to make kombucha for years. And I'm trying to think what it's called, the thing that they have to give you to start it. But anyway, a Bible study on Tuesday night. This okay. girl in my Bible study gave me the, it's not a shroom. There's another word for it. Kombucha starter pack. Yes. Let's just call it Some that. Some of your listeners are saying it out loud right now. Like it's the simplest <laughs> thing in the world. But, um, well, and I don't know. So yeah, they'll I can't have think to what say it called. without me. But anyway, there's just a lot of those things that we're really excited about. Just kind of seeing how the journey of homeschooling goes and... Um, as the kids grow, and I don't know, I have a, you know, I have a heart, a desire for adoption. I don't know where that's going to, oh, you wow. know, what, what's oh going to happen gosh. with that. I don't know. Oh but um, I want to interview you in about six months and ask about the homeschooling, like okay. how that's gone. Yeah. I really want to do that. I interviewed a friend on the homeschooling, and I guess in the United States, I, I've just seen a variety of statistics. I'm not sure which one's accurate. I should probably track it down, but I know homeschooling has doubled at least, mm. in about the last year or two. And I'm very yeah. excited about that because I've been a teacher, like I said, for 30 years. And I've taught at the university level at UMKC for about 20 years and also various high schools. And I've been in four different subjects. But I used to have students at the college who would write papers on homeschooling. And mm. I would always make them write the pros and the cons of any given situation because homeschooling used to be very controversial. Maybe it still is with some people. But this was in the 90s, and so people would have five or six arguments in favor and five or six arguments against. And uh, I guess, long story short, I have never met a homeschooled person uh, that I did not respect. Mm -hmm. I've just wound up respecting them all through the roof. Uh, just their education has been phenomenal. Whenever they sort of tapped out on something where, oh, I need more math, well, then they would figure out a way to go get more math. If the parents couldn't do it, then the parents would figure out how to make sure that their kid could get that far, and then the kid would wind up becoming a mechanical engineer and mm -hmm. have, you know, four semesters of calculus to back that up. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the sweetest people I ever met was one of my college students named Amber, and she became a professional ballet dancer and was in the Nutcracker. 
and uh, gave me free comps so that I could go see the Nutcracker. Oh, and cool. she was just in class. She was not exactly shy, but she was quiet and soft-spoken, but brilliant. Mm-hmm. So in any given class that she was in, whenever she would speak, everybody would shush and they would listen very carefully because she always had brilliant things to say. Mm-hmm. Just filled with heart and mind it was just wonderful. So I just, I, every homeschool person that I've ever met has just been absolutely stellar. So for, I guess, somebody who's taught in a variety of settings, some Catholic school, public school, public university, several universities, I, I have nothing but positives to say about it. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, I, I've yet to see the case where I thought, well, I mean, I realize everything depends upon execution. Mm-hmm. You know, there's probably good and bad, but, but I'm just very excited for you. Yeah, very excited for you. you. So that would be absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Very last question then. Is there anything, Carrie, that you wish we would have talked about or that I would have asked about, but I didn't? Nothing comes to mind. I can't think of anything. Okay. Okay. You asked some great questions and it was fun to, it's always fun, you know, to think back and the older you get, the further away you are, you... You don't think about these things as often, but it's so fun to reminisce and just to think back in all the ways that the Lord has worked in my life and in the lives of, of the people that were journeying beside me and just, you know, just seeing his goodness in all of it. I think that's a beautiful conclusion. Mm-hmm. I think, Carrie, you've done a lot of good in the world and to people listening, maybe you can create a city on a hill too. It just starts with one event. Maybe you can create one event and do it for the right reasons. And then after that, see if you can create two events and then just take it from there. So Carrie, thank you so much. I really appreciate you and I appreciate your time. Thank you, Tim. It's good to be here. Thank you.